Welcome to the Rehydrate interview series, a forum for the discussion of Leah Sushin's Remembrance of Earth's Past series. Each episode, I'll be speaking with a guest about their thoughts and experiences on reading the series. Spoiler warning for listeners, this episode will contain spoilers for all of the three-body problem, the dark forest, death's end, and any other media we happen to discuss. My name is Dan, and today I'm joined by Talia. Welcome, Talia. Hi, Dan. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you for joining. So yeah, let's just start with a little background on yourself. Sure. Uh, I picked up the three-body problem. I was actually on my bookshelf for a while, but what sparked my interest is when I got the opportunity to travel and live in China for mm. a little bit of time and realized just how narrow um, my cultural worldview was on Chinese exports and how I had not seen like science fiction. And I turned back and really found myself drawn in by three-body particularly because I tried reading it before in the Cultural Revolution introduction, which if you haven't read it in a while or if you uh, haven't read it at all, it does take up like a good 80 pages or so of the first book. Yeah. Um, that was a real stumbling block for me the first time. So I came back with fresh eyes and then pretty much devoured the the whole Remembrance of Earth's Past series. Uh, that was my background introduction to the book. Yeah, I had the same experience when I read the book for the first time because like I picked it up as I just was looking for some hard sci-fi book. Mm -hmm. And so I had a long drive ahead of me and I picked up the audiobook um, and I started listening to it. And I was like, what? Where's the sci-fi in this book? <laughs> <laughs> but I had a very long drive. So it's, I just kept, kept plugging on. I was like, oh, okay, I get it. I get it. I get it. And then especially at the end, you know, you kind of see how it all kind of ties together. So <laughs> the hard science fiction aspect can be like kind of polarizing for readers. Like, are you someone who like, what's your tolerance for hard sci-fi? You're like, yes, this helps fill out the worldview. We're like, no, I've heard enough about how we drag asteroids. Actually, I'm not a huge reader, um, but the promise of hard sci-fi was interesting enough to me where I just kept through it. So yeah, like I like all like the technical details and like the more scientific explanations behind everything. So yeah, like it drew me into the story even more, I think. And it, it's like world building in like a scientific way, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so I, I really appreciated that. How, how about you? Um, I remember reading other science fiction books growing up. Like when I first started reading, I read Dune and mm -hmm. I heard that described as science fiction. And I think it cheapened the uh, real experience because I read it and it was like an ecological drama. It was mm -hmm. so full. And for a while, I thought that science fiction couldn't exist within the boundaries of like observing hard science fiction rules. And as much as I love Frank Herbert and all of his works, you know, we very casually jump 2000 years in the future in the past and there's not a lot of attention to how culture and society and technology especially uh would have changed and that's something that you definitely do get uh with the three body problem with Sushin's work definitely i think that that's sort of my favorite from my favorite parts like when um in the second book when Lilo G wakes up you know 150 200 <laughs> years later and like the world's just like crazy but then he, he realizes like oh it's not that great <laughs> like of course we have we have inductive charging already <laughs> and you know just you know some of the, the, the that that's one of my favorite parts of the of the, the whole series so it sounds like you like some of the playful aspects yeah yeah that I, I like that and I, I mean I pretty much adore like the entire series I think my actual favorite part of the entire series is probably the fairy tales in the in the third oh, book man. <laughs> like that was just like blew my mind like it was my mind was already blown by that time but I was like it was blown even more especially like when they spend like so much time afterwards like trying to decipher them and like thinking about like how to do that that was so rich I'm actually yeah. wondering I think 
I have a somewhat of a more laissez-faire approach to reading this. Like I suggested, we first met in on Reddit, on a Reddit thread that I learned was controversial because I actually suggested <laughs> that new readers just like skip the first 80 pages. And here's the spoiler for what you need to know. You need to know that, you know, cultural changes can affect entire civilizations. And I gave my own summary. And a lot of people are like, no, you need to keep the work intact. Um, <laughs> and I have similar thoughts about the third book, which, like you, is my favorite. But I think if someone didn't want to start, I'm actually holding, you know, the third book is near me. It's it's pretty hefty. If you yeah. haven't uh, held it, just listen. I first listened by audiobook, but it's a hefty book. I actually think that there's a series of little vignettes in the third book that could be read pretty much standalone. And one of mm. them is a fairy tale. I mean, there's so much, they're elevated by knowing why they're in the third book. But my other suggestion is that someone could read the, if you remember the story of Gao Wei and the microscopic black hole. Yep, yep. I also yeah, think the, that someone could the, read that sphere, standalone. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> it's like interesting existential questions that are observed under these like real life conditions um for that yeah. one and then the fairy tales are just a gorgeous piece of writing that you don't expect that's definitely a treat and especially to me when i read it it was like i know it was like it was a coded message right so like i'm trying mm -hmm. to figure out like what the, what the code is as i'm trying to read it and then yeah. like, then you get the experience of like the whole world trying to figure out what the code is <laughs> exactly and we know like from having been trained like for literary devices like oh something has to foreshadow or there's some reason this must be brought up more than once like he wouldn't bring it up if that weren't important so even though you know it's important it's still so exciting to try and figure it out along the way yeah it reminded me of um in the sopranos they have a bunch of like dream sweepers episodes and like they're really like abstract and like there's a lot of like symbolism that kind of stuff and those are always like my favorite episodes because like you're trying to like look for ways that like that fits into the story uh, and it's similar mm -hmm. here are they like high concept episodes or do they? Yeah, it's like entire you know, episodes are just dream sequences or, you know, there's, uh, there's an episode like Reason a Coma and, you know, <laughs> so like. That is so yeah, cool. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really good. And it's later on in the, in the series, but it, it reminds me of like those kind of symbolic, if I remember right, like Six Feet Under, that TV show, they also did a lot of like the symbolic dreams and that kind of thing. So I, I'm really into that kind of stuff. And so the fairy tale mm -hmm. stuff really, really resonated with me. It's a reward, I guess, for getting that deep in. Did you have any questions that you felt were unanswered or unresolved, either in a good way or a bad way after finishing? You know, I, I talked to other people about this too. And I think the only thing would be, you know, towards the end of the of the third book, when they're actually on like planet blue um, or planet green or whichever, you know, on the other planet. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> uh, and like they talk a lot about like the world and how it's really dangerous now and how people, how information is like, your location is like super secret and like you're not, it's really a tab to give that up i would have seen like that world built that like that part of it built up a little more but mm. that's the only thing i can really think of off the top of my head uh, how about you someone was commenting on reddit like i'd say you have to be smart to like these books but i'm dumb as shit and i still love them <laughs> and i think it rings kind of true to my understanding about the fairy tales like specifically when we're talking about the brother of the princess and how he doesn't obey the laws of perspective mm. And I thought that was so interesting, you know, to be used as a device, but I never really understood what it was supposed to indicate to humanity, like how that seemed to be like an edge and a way to defeat this super powerful civilization. And I didn't know what that anchored to. And uh, when we talked about Singer's coordinates, I love that little chapter as oh, well, yeah. actually. Yeah, definitely. Just like a 
he just like drops us in media res, which I think is a brave and admirable choice as a writer to just like give your audience just enough, but not too much. And we see that he talks about like medium membrane and primitive membrane and says like, if we found short membrane communicators, they would be akin to gods. And that's never explained. And I'm wondering if it has to do with like ways to manipulate the membrane of the entire universe. And I'm wondering if like, finally at the end of the book has that been achieved have we seen the first like short membrane broadcast mm, maybe yeah it, it could be like like something with space time or something or like because the yeah like the curvature propulsion like actually like bends time, uh, space right so maybe it's something like that mm. and so it, that doesn't seem to be um, i guess it does seem pretty prevalent in like the new society or like they have the death lines and stuff so yeah i don't know I, i'm not sure either <laughs> So do you, do you have like a more like scientific background uh, yourself? I find the reason I ask is because like I have a, a computer science background and I find like that kind mm-hmm. of thinking helps me kind of understand this. I, I thought it did anyway, help me understand like these, these mm-hmm. things better. So uh, do you have like a sort of scientific background or not, or did that help you? Well, I'll say two things. One is that I do think it's exemplary when you can see someone doing something that they really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Like when you see... A mathematician talking about the way that she really loves and like sees the beauty of pure math even if you don't see it yourself that's really interesting like seeing a musician just gush about like what they do yeah. and I think we see a lot of that because Leo Tsushin definitely loves the hard science fiction and even if it's not maybe every reader's preference to hear about how we're like changing the core of mercury and how it would be sucked in <laughs> and trust me I've calculated all these pro- like propulsions, you can tell that he cares about yeah. it. And that in itself is really satisfying. Um, but since you asked about me specifically, yeah, I have a degree in biostatistics mm. and I did some computer science and machine learning after school. I'm not sure if that is what contributed. It possibly could be. What did you like about it from a, your background from thinking uh, the way that a computer scientist is trained to think? Yeah, I mean, like initially, like the, you know, when the, the, the first couple of chapters, when they actually make the human computer, like it just draws you in because you know, like how that stuff works, right? Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. It's like, you know, I, I agree with you. Like, it, it is interesting to, like, I watch YouTube videos about musicians, like talking about music theory and that kind of stuff. I have no idea what they're talking about, but it's cool like, <laughs> to watch, right? Um, I so, like their funny words, magic man. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so like when you actually like, you can see how he like understands like how, you know, computer science works and how computers work at a really fundamental level in like a really interesting storytelling mm-hmm. mechanism, uh, that kind of stuff draws you in. And then you can just, yeah, kind of fully appreciate, like he knows what he's talking about when it comes to radio transmissions or, mm-hmm. you know, space time or, you know, physics, you know, yeah, the laws of physics as it applies to light speed. That's a really good point. Yeah. About like just the building of the first like logic gates. Yeah. I do remember that actually. Now you're reminding me of being like very satisfying. So I was like, oh yeah, you need to understand at like a really primary level. And right. it ends up being, that's what humanity has to turn back to because they don't get like super advanced high tech. They don't get quantum computing. And so like maybe it, depends on really knowing your basics and really understanding them so you said you um you listened to some of the audiobooks is that you consumed the entire series or did did you kind of mix it up great question because um when you listen to the audiobooks you miss the footnotes and the footnotes Mm -hmm. are uh not (laughs) not insignificant especially for you know anglophone readers like us Mm -hmm. i read the first book and then I, like you, was doing a really, really long drive. And I'd definitely like to hear about that, maybe off the air. Um, <laughs> we can swap <laughs> commute stories. But I was driving down to Georgia 
this uh, last Senate runoff election. I live up here in the East Coast and I was driving down to go volunteer. And Georgia is about 10 hours from where I live. So I was like, wow, I just started this audiobook. I hope it's good. And that's how I listened to the second and, of course, became so absorbed. I was pretty busy with the work down there, but on my drive back, I also listened to the third. So I read the first one, and I'm currently in the process of going back and rereading in paper. Okay, so do you have the? So you're reading like the actual like hard copy? Uh, right now, yeah, I'm, oh. I'm mostly skimming and like checking the footnotes and seeing. You know, you can tell that he writes honoring like Arthur C. Clarke and Isaac Asimov, and sometimes that's pointed out. Uh, if you're already familiar with those works, maybe you don't need it, but you know, we all like a reminder. Yeah, I listened to the audiobooks for the first and second one in my first pass through. And then I, I ended up like using the ebook to read the third book. But now I've mm-hmm. gone through and done like all three for all, all three books, uh, especially oh, as yeah? I, for the for the podcast now, like I, I'll, I've, I've gone back, I've, def, I've definitely read through the entire thing three whole times, like straight through. And then like, as we do the podcast, like leading, uh, reading sections by sections as well. Has any guest ever said anything that makes you like reconsider or go back and reread? There's been a lot of interesting perspectives. Like my first guest um, was Chinese and had a lot of perspectives from reading the uh, the Chinese version. And and maybe you you have also experienced, I don't know if you, did you read it in Chinese or you just read it in China? I don't have a Chinese copy. I have a PDF, which I do sometimes compare back and forward. Mm. Um, and I just see some interesting things. I'm sure your Chinese guest caught all of them, but there are some translations of names that are suggestive. Yeah. Um, and I think that's interesting, but the prose is very similar. Of course, I get curious when it's a good thing there are no spoilers. Like at the <laughs> end of um, Yun Tianming and IAA's life, when they've carved into rock, I was just thinking, like, hmm, I wonder if those did he imagine those as letters or as characters? Oh um, yeah, you know, <laughs> pretty curious about that. <laughs> yeah, they, he had mentioned, um, and he thought, he's also like a a very frequent poster on Reddit. You've probably seen like a lot of his uh, stuff. I think his name is Pink Tai, some numbers. I forget what it is, but um, he has a lot of interesting perspectives about uh, Chinese, the differences between the Chinese version and the American version or the the English versions. He he talked a lot about like the ships having like uh, interesting names as it relates to like Chinese history. Um, And he had also said like, I forget, like one of the the wall facers plans was, was totally different. Like the swarm one in the second book was was different and kind of dumbed down in the in the English version for some reason because it had to do with like ball lightning uh and I I don't he didn't know why that got removed but uh maybe it's the the book I'm not sure but it also seemed like pretty faithful you know more or less yeah just like those slight differences and I think like you probably just catch more more detail and like more of like nuance when you read in the in the original Chinese because that's how he's thinking about it too and yeah probably you're right he probably was thinking of Chinese characters on the in the rock and on Pluto too. It's just because Chinese is just so concise. Yeah. It's really if you've seen like when they give out documents at the UN, you know the Spanish version is several stable pages, the English one is shorter, the Chinese one is often like a single page, just because it's so you know conservative yeah. <laughs> right. and classical Chinese even more so. But those are sort of like deep and unimportant questions. <laughs> They're um, a little too nerdy for affecting the actual outcome of the story. I did see that the ship names, at least if we're thinking of the same ones, they seem like they're all significant, even in English. 
I think he, I may think he mentioned specifically like the Tang and had to do with like the Tang dynasty. Um, and so that had some, I, I forget exactly what it was, but it had like some more, mm. more historical significance where a person who knows Chinese history would have known like this, this had, this had a more significant name than probably a lot of Americans. A lot of Americans who will read Chinese sci-fi will know that there's a Tang dynasty, but what, like me, like I won't know like when that was or what, the, what they accomplished. Right after the, the Sui, <laughs> right after the Sui dynasty came the Tang. Now you know. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I guess like in general, like what are some of your favorite moments that like when you think of like the entire series, like what moments stick out to you? Oh boy. I think probably like the moments right after the, the dimensional strike is, is like, um, is sent to earth and they like know that it's happening and know that it's true. Mm. Um, that part I had to reread. I thought it exposed a lot of you know, what was already, I had someone tell me that like a crisis doesn't build character, it just reveals character. Mm. And what we saw is like it revealed some people like the authorities who claimed that they would stay there and they wouldn't try to run. And it also showed a lot of people who knew they couldn't escape and still ran for it. And, and then they, they also get mad when the, they see like, that ship can go light speed, you know, shoot it down. Absolutely. Yeah. But the ship that achieved light speed wasn't like flown by opportunistic people it was flown by people who first suggested going back to the earth yeah um, and i thought that was really interesting and that's like one of the mo- few moments i think the a lot of like credit goes to the translator i think it was very easy to read it didn't feel clunky like some bad translations do mm. um either joel martinson or ken liu depending on which version you're reading but there's sometimes when the chinese fleet are speaking to each other that you can tell they're communicating in idioms which are called chongyu in chinese and they're like four character sayings that are often imbued with like a lot of history Mm. and they repeat back and forth to each other like falling leaves want to return to the root which is said uh when they want to go back to earth and is also said when i can't remember which ship but the ship (laughs) that is not so lucky and doesn't escape into deep space that comes home thinking that they're heroes Oh, right. I think that was, uh, yeah. was that natural selection. I forget. It's, or blue space. Or blue space or yeah. bronze age. Bronze right. age, I think maybe. Maybe. Um, yeah. So part of the tragedy is that like they've come so far. And this Chinese idiom is that like that's where you should belong. It's like everyone returns to their ancestral home and they've traveled across space and time and they want to return home. And part of the tragedy is that they never get to. Hmm. Um, so that's the part that I felt was a lot more weighty in Chinese, but I still remember it fondly in English. I don't know. I also just like the culminations, like seeing all of humanity's fleets destroyed when Zhang Beihai reveals himself and just uh, contemplating what it would be like to live in a world with different dimensions, whether that's more or fewer is yeah. always really interesting. <laughs> For a computer scientist, it's really easy to add dimensions, but here in physics, in the real world, it's <laughs> challenging for us. Right. Um, one of the experiences I had when I when I read the first book was uh, when I first read the the Project Sofan chapter. It blew my mind. And I was like, "What are they even talking about?" And I had to like go back and like re-listen to it like immediately after I heard it because I was like, "I don't." It was just like so much all at the same time. Um, how did you how did you feel when you first? Because I think feel like like that's the first really like super scientific chapter. I mean, there's the Sorry, which chapter the the when the the trisolarians are explaining the project so fun. Oh man, yeah. that blew my mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow, yeah. Um, 
that was definitely something I went and reread and that's why I would like pester people to read. I was like, no, no, you have to read because I want to talk about the end. Right. And what that meant is like, I want someone to explain the end (laughs) (laughs) to me. Um, Yeah. So they open not, is it a fundamental particle that they open or? They said it's a proton that they, they unfold into um, yeah. From 11 dimensions and they unfold it into two but they mess up a couple of times too, right? Like they accidentally yes. turn it into one dimension and a bunch of strings come down. Which is a problem. Yeah. Yes. Um, I thought it was so interesting when they, you know, discovered that there's sentience or some kind of intelligence yeah. on every scale. Uh, Cause it really just is the first time that we get a peek at like how small Sushin Liu at least views, you know, earth's current view of civilization and of space. And then it's not that our technology necessarily or naivety is limiting us it's like our own arrogance we think like oh there couldn't possibly be anything in a proton you know there couldn't possibly be anything in this in space if we haven't seen anything that i found was really interesting that their like propaganda minister realized the potency in that and was like you've better publish that so we know that civilizations are everywhere so destroying earth is no big thing right right <laughs> yeah yeah that's funny like the yeah they're like oh well we, we do it all the time so it's fine <laughs> yeah but also just like the pure logistics of it i also like you i really liked when they were first building those gates um in mm. the three-body game and they sort of hand waved because I don't know what the Trisolarians look like, but they hinted that they have like reflective bodies that, that means that they could communicate at like close to the speed of light, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because if you've ever done this, and I know I've done it like when I teach or when I'm in like computer science 101, we do like raise our hands and create AND gates, but they're oh, really? so criminally slow. Yeah. Um, there's a way around it. But you obviously you can't use like any circuitry if you're on the scale of a proton. And I think it's our first clue about their absolutely advanced technology that they actually make their circuitry by bending the strong nu- nuclear force. Yeah. So if you're a keen eyed reader, it should be no surprise that they have like strong nuclear force as um, a fundamental matter that they can build with. Oh, yeah. And that, that shows back up as the, the drop later on when they talk about the strong mm-hmm. interaction material. Yeah, that's interesting. Exactly. I, I, I didn't catch that. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's interesting. Do you have any favorite characters that, you know, from the series? I kind of want to, yeah, talk about the third book. Because mm-hmm. I don't think there is really um, a strong protagonist in the first book. I think it sacrifices a lot for plot and has really exciting plot, but I don't think people have strong opinions about Wang Miao. No, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, he's just sort of um, like the audience foil, right? Like, yeah, he's, he's just the guy who's like, he's like, he's taking all the stuff in. I think, in, in the, the the only really form character in the in the first book would be uh, Ye Wenjie, and she's not the protagonist. I mean, I, I don't know okay. if she would say the antagonist. It depends on your point of view, I guess. But uh, she's definitely the she's most... some kind of catalyst. Yeah, you know? I mean, her actions are seen from tens of millions of light years away by you know yeah. these super intelligent civilizations so you could say that like she makes the most impact but yeah. as a character not really well i don't know i for the entire series i would probably consider her the most fully formed character just like with the chapters where hmm. she goes like the in, in the where she goes to that, that small village and like interact, village, and then she, yeah. she kind of like thinks like uh, is this really like you know maybe i should, really shouldn't have done this but then she goes and see likes her her mother and like a mother is like all about and it like it. strengthens her initial yeah. resolve. And she's yeah. like, all right, forget it. <laughs> I, I did the right thing. 
yeah, that's right. Like, actually, no, just double down. That's yeah. fine. <laughs> I would agree. I think maybe she doesn't get all of that in the first book, but over the over the whole series, yeah, she definitely gets filled out. Yeah, as a character, and we meet her as a grandmother, but then you know we travel through her whole life. But I feel like people have pretty strong um, opinions about the character in the third book. That that is yeah. like a more polarizing one. What do you think about the? Yeah, definitely about yeah. Machine. I was actually pretty surprised. I'm really against spoilers. So like, I really didn't like read anything about the books until I was finishing the entire series because I didn't want to know. Because uh, I was definitely hooked mm-hmm. after the first one. I was like, I don't want to know what happens because I know it's a trilogy. I'll just read it. Um, <laughs> so when I went back and read it, I was really surprised. Like there was so much hate, uh, you know, levied at her. Like, you know, I liked her character and, you know, and the dynamic between her and, and AA were, I thought was really good. And, and I liked that, how they changed it from, you know, two kind of nerdy scientists. Like, I guess Luigi is not like a nerdy scientist, but it's like, I, I could see uh, Wang Miao and Luigi being like very similar, right? Like they're yeah. the same kind of, the same kind of mold, uh, you know, different perspectives, but definitely like this, you know, two youngish guys <laughs> who are, you know, impacting the, kind of nerdy right but then like you kind of change that dynamic entirely and then you get Changshin in AA and in, in the third book and you know and it really she's really representative of like the good part of humanity you know but yeah. the it's kind of our downfall with our being naive right and you know and too trusting and so uh, it kind of goes against the dark forest uh theory and everything so I don't know I I really liked her her character I can I get why there's some pushback around like especially misogyny i guess i didn't pick up on that either when i first read it either um mm. but uh I, I don't know i guess when i first read it I, I didn't i didn't pick that up but maybe i wasn't looking for it uh that strongly uh, i just really enjoyed her her character yeah i also was pretty surprised at anyone hating the third character i didn't get that at all because i thought she like always adhered to her principles and that's something we you know admire in ourselves and in others yeah. and like you said she represents the good part of humanity and ultimately like that's who humanity chose so maybe there's something redeeming about the civilization that chose her and i've seen a lot of theories that are like no they knew that she'd be weak and the tristellarians intentionally tried to feminize earth so that they would choose someone weak but yeah. it kind of all falls apart because she like has been around since before they started doing any kind of cultural exchange. Like she's been herself. And I like the little notes that, you know, she ends up that she was adopted. So that's kind of a break in normal Chinese tradition where so much is normally important for being patrilineal and patriarchal and patrilocal. And her family, like they have their last words and they're not sappy and it's not protracted. It's just like love brought us together. And then she leaves and goes into the future without them. But she carries that love with her Mm. for the rest of her life. I I would have considered her one of my favorite characters, like just because she's so different from what you'd expect from from that kind of book. And so it's told the story from a very, very unique perspective than especially after, you know, reading the first two books. Yeah, I was impressed that he could write her, (laughs) frankly. (laughs) Um, I don't know if I would label it misogyny, um, but I did find... Like in the second book, Luoji's, um, yeah. like his image, that was like difficult to read. Right. It sort of was like a little immersion breaking. I was like, why? Yeah. Why are we <laughs> spending so much time here when there's so much exciting like work to be done? In our in our podcast, we you know we're going to be starting Dark Forest in the next couple of weeks, 
And I'm kind of dreading that part, like, cause my, my friends hadn't read that part. And I was like, all right, there's not really a reason. I mean, there's, kind, it's mostly just building the G's character and yeah, it's not a great representation for a woman. And like, oh, Dan, I can't wait to see how you navigate that. <laughs> so it's like, I know, I know, I know, but just because you're introducing on. it. So you're have to, you have to like be the apologetic. Yeah. <laughs> This is like, just, just wait to the third, like the second book is really good. Like the third book is amazing. So, but there's, there are problematic parts in that. And and I think there's like, not only that, I think the second book is probably like my least favorite of the three. Um, Not because Mm. it's not good, but because like there are problematic parts like that. And I think that, and there's also a lot of, at the beginning of the book, there's a lot of characters who are introduced that we we never hear from again, like the kind of uh, ancillary characters yeah, around the world. That is the real Achilles heel of this this writing. Yeah. But it also turns off Anglophone readers who are like, I have to remember Ding Yi and Wang Yao and Yun Chao. And are they, <laughs> are they going to be important? Do I need to take notes? Because I've definitely seen a lot of character names. Yeah. But not only that, but like the people in the beginning of the second book are just like random people. And like, I think they, they're related to uh, some people, like in, like the people that um, that Dasher's like son eventually scams uh, there mm-hmm. and there. And like, but we never hear from them again afterwards. And they kind of just die off after Lochi goes to the future, right? Yeah, I understand why they're there. Like, you know, humanity is still desperate and still desperate to like, yeah. One of the first pursuits of humanity in, you know, the most ancient of Chinese culture, like several thousand years BCE, is pursuing immortality. And people have been doing this kind of crazy stuff for the last 4,000 years. Like, oh, I bet the aliens are going to dig me up. So I'll get around that <laughs> and I'll shape myself into space. And like, I understood what it was trying to demonstrate, but I agree. It could have been done without so much belaboring the reader kind of early on in the second book. Yeah, it's just like a whole set of new people. The book opens with like Yeo and Jie, right? And talking to talking to Lo Ji. And it's like, all right, I know her. Like, I got it. <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, but then like after the prologue, it just like totally changes to like all these people you never heard of. It's like, and, and you know, as an American reader, they're all in Chinese names. So it's kind of hard to keep them all straight sometimes. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. And it's not like when we first open with the ant, you're actually, I look forward to, you know, joining you on the Dark Forest and your podcast because I thought that it was, a really cool opening to have this ant crawling and see like yeah. how the ant's perspective of time is like oh eons and eons of this and billions of years like that right, and right. you know once again forcing humanity to see itself as like huh bugs right but right. does that necessarily mean like we have no chance because they've been around for so long right i do right. think that 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 i didn't mind even though that's like quote unquote a new character but... uh, that, that part's fine yeah i think that's like yeah. uh, more high concept you know like this is yeah it, and but it, it if it was like uh it, it reminds me of i don't know if you read the the song of ice and fire series the, the game of thrones books but like they have entire chapters of like bran as a wolf or something and it does are intolerable <laughs> oh no <laughs> everything should come with a reader's guide like dan approves of <laughs> these chapters only <laughs> This next one could be a pricey and we could keep going, especially because, and I promise the last thing I'll say on Lord G's like embarrassing, weird fantasies, it seems like he really puts us through all of that for somewhat little payoff. Like, yeah, yeah. He, he gets the girl and then eventually the girl picks up and leaves him. And then, you know, he remembers it 200 years later. But I just <laughs> feel like there are more elegant ways to show that he's like a playboy <laughs> just pursuing like his own hedonistic desires 
Yeah. I talked to somebody also about like, you know, maybe the, the character, if I remember right, was the Zhong, Zhong Yan, if I remember right. Um, Zhuang Yan. Zhuang uh, Yan. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but like if she had like more of a character arc, because she's basically just, yeah, at the beginning, just like a fantasy for Bo Ji, right? And at the end, and then later on, she's just a prop for the UN to tell Bo Ji to do something, right? Like we're going to take her away and then you need to do something or else you're not going to get her back. Yeah. But then like she has no other agency besides that. So I would have liked to see... That she really is just property. Yeah, yeah, it's not like she has. I mean, she teaches him a little bit about painting, but right, <laughs> that's not a character, you know. Yeah, yeah. So it, 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 one of the the theories that um I, I that someone had mentioned to me is like you know maybe like she's actually an agent, you know, and so she had been like set up the whole time to to actually like push him towards actually like doing his because I knew about his short shortcoming his, his personality of like being lazy and. <laughs> Uh, not really wanted to do anything. Say, <laughs> uh, so, I will say, book two is the only one that got a real, like, honest laugh out of me. Like, I stopped the podcast to laugh. Because <laughs> um, uh, it's kind of a somber book, even though it's really enjoyable. Hmm. Um, it was when Luoji was telling the UN, basically, like, I want this house, and I want it next to these mountains, and I want it to be perfect in every way, and I want to live like an aristocrat, and I want to be completely alone, <laughs> and I want to have all my needs met, and manservants and butlers. And then also, you know, we'll talk about this, you know, mail order bride (laughs) and they take down his notes and the guy sort of in a moment of candor is like, hey, thanks. Yours is the cheapest plan so far. (laughs) Money is a real headache. (laughs) Yeah, he doesn't need to mine mercury or whatever. (laughs) Well, yeah, it's before we've seen what other people's plans are. So it's sort of like, uh oh, like what have we gotten ourselves into? (laughs) Yeah, and you can also you can justify it with like that's part of the plan. Don't worry, you, 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 you yeah, it's a wall facer, yeah, wall facer privilege. Part of my plan. <laughs> um, so, do you have any other favorite characters from the from the series? Hmm, I wouldn't say uh, it was like that character driven for me. I do yeah. definitely admire the transformation of a couple characters. Like I think Da Shu is introduced, uh, you know, Captain Shu. He's like supposed to be a little off-putting and I really grew to admire him and like the way he was, you know, saving Woji and yeah. <laughs> keeping really steady. Um, <laughs> so I think he had like a nice little character arc, yeah. but obviously the most beautiful was Yun Tianming. Were, were you disappointed that, that hurt that him and, uh, and, and, um, Chung were able, didn't actually meet up in the end or did you find it, I, I, it's not rewarding, but it's like a, rewarding in like a literary way you know that like that oh, comes I'm so devastated. close <laughs> yeah what do you expect yeah like that moment of like we we missed them right yeah it's like <laughs> um, they're so close like they, they could like see them down there and like oh no we just got caught for you know millions of years or whatever they were in the, in the death lines i think yeah i mean we experience that in quotidian ways there are opportunities that seem so close um but there's also just like so much foreshadowing and so much precedent. Um, like when Luoji is at the earth tomb, which is also just like a wonderful little yeah. journey we take in the third book at the mausoleum. He's like looking at the wall and seeing, you know, here's where the Qin dynasty was. And the Qin was a tiny, I'm going to do a brief, like 30 second Chinese history lesson. Sure. <laughs> and then I'll be done. It was a tiny state during the warring states in China. And, it adopted a principle of legalism of like assigning really understandable, but very strict codes and laws to everything. Like you steal something, chop off your hand. Mm. doesn't matter intent. doesn't matter anything. 
you know, you pay homage to the king 10 times, you get promoted. Everything is regulated by rules. And one of the problems with a system that's entirely regulated by rules, can you think of any? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Assuming the rules are like just and correct. I mean, science, I guess, right? Well, like one problem is like it's completely amoral. Hmm. It doesn't matter if someone's doing the right things for the right reasons. Oh, um, yeah. And this understandably kind of scared everyone else in what was China back then at like 300 BC. And they all decided to stop being at war with each other and, you know, combat the Qin. And uh, the Qin swallowed them all, hmm. swallowed them all whole hmm. and grew to be this like giant tyrannical dynasty. And Luoji, so history lesson is over. <laughs> Luoji is noticing that this is happening at the same time as like, was it like Napoleon maybe or Alexander the Great? I'm not sure. <laughs> a Western conquering hero hmm. was around at the same time. And he's like, he's leading his armies this far to the east. And then they turn around. But like, what if they'd met? Wouldn't that have been like one of the best historical showdowns in all of history? Yeah. Uh, but it was just like a missed opportunity. They were so close, but it didn't happen. Oh, yeah. Maybe uh, Alexander the Great. Didn't he, I think he went pretty far, far uh, east. I'm not sure. Yeah. I can just see, yeah, it's Alexander the Great. At least his dates match. Mm. He was around <laughs> in 300 BC. So yeah, I mean, it was so close and that was war and this is love, but you know, all's the same. Right, right. <laughs> and um, I think we're supposed to know that something like, devastating is coming. If you remember when Changxin wakes up in this like beautiful new world and sees that these pieces of art are actually made by aliens like they're not even human the novels that she's reading yeah yeah <laughs> and the painting yeah i mean that blew my mind as well as hers right yeah i, I mentioned that on the the podcast as well um yeah talking yeah. about like uh, or maybe it was on the spoiler cast or i, I talked about it at some point where i, I must find a spoiler cast because it happens later mm -hmm. yeah like how how like when, when she wakes up and then like the like they they, <laughs> they they have not only like contributed art but it's like winning awards it's like winning the oscar for best picture that year and they've been able to emulate like the punked. yeah <laughs> they're emulate, they, and, and like their style is very arty and like yeah, yeah like kind of beautiful <laughs> i mean it seems like it's all part of like their master plan right to kind of lull humanity into a false sense of security and then like they're ready to pounce as soon as like they they're able to oh yeah. instantaneously ready <laughs> right <laughs> they, they don't hesitate they've definitely learned but one of those great pieces of cultural reflection that so captures the attention of Changxin is this love story about these two lovers who are like down the river from each other mm. and they don't get to meet. That's their great tragedy. Oh, interesting. I don't remember that, but yeah, that's uh, that's good foreshadowing. I mean, I didn't see the foreshadowing until right. after when <laughs> I was clawing through the pages looking for an explanation, but every time I read it, it just keeps turning out the same way. <laughs> they right. keep missing each other. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it seemed like, you know, like Yun Tiaming kind of just like gone in the pocket universe. Like, well, I don't know, maybe it's like it wasn't big enough for, I mean, it seemed big enough for how many other people they wanted, but. I think they sort of like <laughs> did a little hand waving and like AA was always more interested in the world. So like maybe yeah. that's enough that like he loved AA or something. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know. Were you disappointed? 
I was kind of disappointed. I'm mean, not disappointed, but um, I, I do like, you know, kind of the, the tragedy of them not meeting up. But I did want to see, you know, Changshin and AA get together again, you know, uh, and kind of talk of about course. their experiences. Um, it would be nice to see like more like, yeah, if her and, uh, and Yun Taming actually went out and like explored like the universe. And maybe that's a satisfying ending for her. But, you know, we don't know. I, I, I think there's I, I, I haven't read it, but I know there's like a what is it? The Redemption of Time. Have you read it? I haven't, oh, only because I haven't gotten my hands on it. It's uh, apparently like, you know, it's not it's not done by uh, Liu Shishin, it's done by, it's like some other guy. Like, it's basically like, people call it just fan fiction. But mm-hmm. I, I I heard it explained more about uh, Yun Tian Ming and maybe some other stuff, but I, I haven't read it either. So maybe there's answers there, but it's not really canonical. So I, I don't know if it, it'd be interesting to read. Um, have you read anything yeah. else by, by Liu Shishin? No, I've um, picked up Ball Lightning, but I've mm-hmm. also heard people say like Three Body is his best work. So mm-hmm. you've kind of eaten dessert before dinner if you read his other work. I, <laughs> um, I would still be convinced if you would recommend any of them. I haven't read any either. I've the only thing I've I've consumed is I've watched uh, Wandering Earth, which is um, I, I think it's a short story of his. But you know, there's a. Uh, it it was released in the US. I saw it in there's like a Chinese community. I live in Los Angeles and there's like a Chinese community here mm-hmm. that has like um you know, they, they show Chinese movies. So they, they were showing it in original Chinese, but they had English subtitles. Um so I was able oh, to, cool. to to watch it. Uh, but now I think it's on Netflix now. Um and so maybe that was like the precursor to, you know, the T V show that's coming up. So that's the the next topic I want to get into is like how familiar are we with the T V show and are you excited about it? Are you apprehensive about it? Yeah, I mean, we've had such a good discussion. I kind of wanted to turn our attention, um, you know, here at the end to a more hairy question, which is like <laughs> adapting it. <laughs> what do we think? Is that like doomed? Is that is there reason to be hopeful about that? Is that even something you'd want to see? So, so I'm of two minds about it personally. You know, I mm. want to see it adapt. I don't know how they're going to do it, especially the third book, right? It seems almost impossible to adapt. Like, how are they going to show the dimensional attack in a, like a, in a good way? That's a way that really resonates without looking cheesy. Or how are they going to talk about Project Sofa? Are they going to just dumb it down? I think we're in an era of television where they can give the audience a lot of credit, you know? I'm thinking mm. like uh, The Expanse is a really good um, TV show. That's I haven't read the books, but and I know like it, it, people have talked about it, it's really pretty faithful to the books. But there's also like a lot of like scientific concepts they don't like really dumb down and like talk you through or like they, they give the audience credit, right? So hopefully, like in this series, they will give the audience credit for not explaining the really scientific mm. concepts, but and not just dumb them down. But I'm also, you know, I'm also a, a Game of Thrones book reader and, you know, d- uh, the creators or the, the showrunners for Game of Thrones were the, are the same ones that's doing the three-body problem. And I really didn't like what they did with the the end of that show. They did a really great job about adapting yeah. the material Can they I had. Offer, <laughs> yeah, let me, the only pushback I could offer to that is like the ones where they had to make it up on their own. I agree. Uh, yeah. It was embarrassing for us all. Um, but. <laughs> when they were adapting what was already written, like those yeah. were really, really good. And yeah, that, that's maybe not exactly hope. faithful, <laughs> but right. you know, a good representation. And of course, like when they go out on their own, they're just like not courageous enough to do what I think a work of this scale demands, you know, cause there are such sacrifices that happen 
Yeah. I, I think they're not good writers. I think that's the problem, right? Like they, they, yeah, like you said, like they're really good at adapting and like the first like three and a half or four seasons were excellent. Like every episode was great and like, but they really were pretty faithful to the material with a few changes here and there for television, but that's fine. Television is a shorter mm-hmm. medium. Like I'm okay with like smaller changes, but like later on when like, when Littlefinger is like warping between places and like Daenerys is warping between places and like they have like Sansa because, for some reason, yeah. <laughs> you know, like a uh, to Winterfell. Yeah. Uh, like that kind of, it, it didn't make sense and it, it wasn't good story-wise, right? Hopefully they stick the material and they give audience credit. And so I'm going to be cautiously optimistic and, and hope for the best. <laughs> yeah. I think that some things will adapt really, really well to um, a visual medium like the fairy tales. Because that can instantly, whatever style you've chosen, you can like transcend it and offer the audience something really, really different. You could cast like non-Chinese audiences if you need like big names and big faces in the U.S. Yeah. um, Because it's just like they're creatures of legend. I do worry about (laughs) obviously the perils of adopting like a beloved story into um, a television show. And also because like once it gets through all the censors, in China, will it even be the show that we want it to be? I could be just very hawkish, but um, if it comes out, I think I will watch it no matter what. Oh, for sure! Like, there's no, there's no way I wouldn't watch it. <laughs> uh, I, I just watched the um, the adaptation of The Stand that came out, and it's terrible. It's really, really bad. But I watched it because, like, I'm, I'm a big <laughs> fan of the book. <laughs> so, like, even if it's terrible, I would, I would still watch this, this show. Let it never be said, Dan is not loyal to the end. <laughs> I'm another kind of worry that's in the back of my mind is like they're going to maybe try to over westernize it because I think like you know American audiences are going to have, yeah. have a hard time with like all these American names so I was like you know is Wang Miao going to get renamed to John Smith or whatever hopefully not but <laughs> you know like that could be a thing I sure hope not I think obviously it helps if you're a little bit familiar like Qin Shi Huang the like the Shi Huang Di that we meet in Three Body Problem like he's a Chinese emperor and that's cool to know but there's also like Copernicus And you don't need to be Chinese or American to understand that that's a significant historical person. And so I think if they trust a little bit to, you know, an audience, they're not going to even realize that it's such a weird name, I think, if it's just introduced and (laughs) adhered to. I mean, you just said the word Littlefinger and didn't even flinch. That's bizarre. (laughs) (laughs) And another thing that that I've talked about, I I think I posted this on on Reddit before, too, that like... um, Hmm about Wang Miao, about how he just doesn't show up after the first book. I don't know how they're going to handle that. And like having like a separate main character for all three books, like it, that usually you're, you're going to want like the star, right? To be the star throughout the whole ent- entire thing. And like, there's no one character that, that expect, you know, that, that, that spans well, the entire series. Long enough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I wonder how they're going to handle that. Like one thing I was kind of worried about that they might do is like combine the characters of Wang Miao and the Ji. I mean, hopefully not, but like mm. that, I, I could see them doing it, right? Like combining just combining stories. I could definitely stories. see that. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that happens with Luoji that I think could be cut, um, which they might end up just like conflating characters. I mean, they could get around it with flashbacks, but again, right. you're right. I mean, like just no one lives long enough to like faithfully be in all of them as the star. 
And another thing they might do is like, I saw someone else had this, had this idea was that they might cut together the stories of uh, Luo Ji and Qingxin, like, because they kind of happen simultaneously, but in different books. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So like, maybe like, I they think do I'd cut... be okay with that. Yeah, I, I would too. Um, yeah. Kind of cut back and forth between, between them. It, it is really cool though, to like see um, the, when, when, when uh, Chengxin later on like meets up with Luo Ji and he's like the old, the old sword holder. Oh, like, that's, that's so really... satisfying. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I think like yeah. Uh, like like yeah, Wang Miao and Lo Ji both sort of have like that like nerdy kind of creepy. <laughs> yeah, they're like skulking academics, and they're yeah, <laughs> they can be playboys, but they don't really yeah, absolutely. So, is there any other um, you know based off of people who who do like this book or this series, any other recommendations that you might have for things that you've read or watched or t- movie or any other media that that people might also be interested in? Yeah, it's been said before, but, um, you know, he didn't create this in, in a vacuum. And I think it's definitely worthwhile to read some Isaac Asimov, since that was obviously such a um, such an inspiration for Su Xin Liu. And, you know, Foundation is a great novel to start off with. Uh, he also wrote a lot of short stories. I don't know if they're available by audiobook, but they're, they've been out long enough that you can just find them in the public domain now. Yeah. And it's nice to, you know, reconnect and realize that these like existential questions, which is what science fiction pushed to its limit gets down to, have been around for a long time. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, I would definitely I, recommend some old school science fiction. I know. I, yeah. Like, like I said, I've never been like a huge reader. So I never in, in high school, I never like read read a lot so um yeah i've always meant mm-hmm. to get back to those those stories especially like yeah given my appreciation for this series um yeah i'd always I'd, I'd want and i've heard a lot of good things about the foundation series but i've always intended to go back to it and listen i mean you watch the expanse that's pretty a lot yeah. of investment did you watch interstellar i did i did it was great <laughs> I think, yeah that's also great <laughs> for a different medium i think it's more of an investment than reading the foundations just because interstellar is so long and so deep uh, but I also felt that was pretty worthwhile. How did you feel about the the end of Interstellar? I know that's pretty polarizing. Is it? I, I mean, I think it could only end one way. Like at some point, we need to wrap up. No, I mean, like specifically, like the Tesseract when it, when he goes into that and like the trying to um, like like visualize like what four dimensional space would look like. I mean, maybe that's gonna be the problem of the of this series too. Like just trying to visualize like all this like dimensionality, like how they're going to show it. Hopefully not going to fall into the same trapping, but I know that was pretty polarizing. Yeah. People often explain dimensions, uh, like when I would solve, you know, difficult math problems, it's a strategy that is really useful. It's like, can you make it simpler? Like mm. if you're trying to isolate three points that are moving, that's hard. Try and see if you can isolate two points and then see if you can, you know, expand because it can be so overwhelming. So I think if we could like somehow visually show the whole world in 2d and how limiting that is. Cause like everything is just different shaped line segments. If you have no depth, you can't see anything other than how long a certain line segment is. Yeah. And then sort of use that to explain that's how limiting 3d feels to a 40 creature. Right. right. So like we can't really show you 40, but we can show you how horrific it would be if you had to like <laughs> live here now. <laughs> right. Yeah, that I mean, that reminds me of the the chapters and the when they're when they're meeting with the four dimensional spheres or the the pockets, you know, when the they're in the deep space and they're they're going through those oh, pockets and like yeah. they're, they're like 
throwing like the body slices, but it's like, doesn't hurt them. It's just like, that's just how those pockets work. And so that's going to be also pretty difficult to visualize. I think it's hard enough to write about. Definitely. That's part I reread in Chinese. I was like, maybe this will make more sense. (laughs) (laughs) Did it? Nope. (laughs) The fish fish who did this have left. I was like, yep. Says the same thing in Chinese. (laughs) It's just as sad. It's just as deep. But yeah, so I agree. Like the ending of Interstellar could be polarizing, but it is really hard to represent a Tesseract. You know, it's, it's hard to even think about, much less like try and design yeah, I thought they, I mean, overall, they did a really good job about um, explaining scientific concepts and in, in like an in understandable way, you know, they talked about like the space-time uh, uh, curvature with the, the pencil through the, the paper. And they, they talked about like the, the gravity cause, you know, like the extreme gravity causing uh, time dilation. So like that stuff, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe I'm in that world or I'm not in that world, but like I'm in, I, I, I like that kind of media. So like it, it more resonated with me, but I felt like, it's you know people could understand it in like a a pretty consumable way yeah absolutely yeah i mean do you have recommendations either that a guest has given and you agreed with or didn't agree with or have to give to me um yeah so some some of the things on my list is uh you know a lot of the arthur c clark books um you know Mm. because he's really inspired by those um you know 2001 is definitely my favorite movie um so i've always wanted to go back and read like the, the book for it I just never did uh, so that that's one of the recommendations that's that stuck out to me and then yeah Eisenhoff people have mentioned that too yeah I, th- I think in general like I want to become a, a more prolific reader I, I just never really had the attention span all the time and, and unless I got really invested in the series like like this one or the remembrance of uh or, or the the Song of Ice and Fire series those are really long but like you're invested in it and like if if anything, I'm I'm a person who I'm a completionist. So like if I start reading it and get <laughs> get involved in it, like I'll, I'll I'll keep on it. So yeah, uh, a really short book that I think does a really good job. If you are looking to at least check another one off, is a uh, Flatland. I don't know if you oh, read that yet. I did. Yeah. That after I finished this series, like people kept recommending that, and so I, I went. Immediately. You just had to. <laughs> yeah. It was yeah. It was pretty short. Um. Yeah. But it, yeah. It's it's really good. Really well written. Um. My friend was saying that like there's actually like some, some also like kind of sexist overtones where like the the women are portrayed in like a like a minimized way in the in that book, uh, but you know it's yeah, eighteen hundreds sure. or something. It's also like only a hundred pages long, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely I can't defend it as a perfect work, but I thought it just illustrated a really cool point, which is the end, you know this fear telling the little 2d guy like of course there are no higher dimensions i'm the top and it's like right. once again <laughs> like naivete isn't the impediment it's like your arrogance and thinking that you'll be you're like you're the top of the food chain and that's sort of what gets in the way every time yeah and, and that's like a you know it's a theme throughout the this entire series right where the humans like are constantly arrogant like they you know they're humbled and then you know they they, they, they get more more and more arrogant and then like you know the drop of the hack comes in <laughs> like you know it's like oh, it's of course hard we could... not to be yeah <laughs> yeah i mean like chung shin says like the i'm going on and on but the reason that she became like an astrophysicist and she is like a scientist and kind of a hero even though she's like an academic nerd the reason she went in is because humanity went to the moon and then like she wakes up later and she's taking a super short trip and it's five times the length of like humans going to the moon and you see that and you see how fast human ships can travel and if your perspective is like 
it's only been a hundred years since we stopped using human labor as a primary labor. <laughs> like it seems like we're unstoppable, but it's just because we started here and like our arrogance could lead us to say like no one's above us. But again, the themes of the book keep saying that that's not true. Yeah. Over, over and over again. Like, yeah, the, the, they get really arrogant about the drop of the tag. They get really arrogant about like the bunker defense, right? <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, okay, we got it. Like they're gonna send a, the, the 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 photon. Nope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. Also, like it took years and like trillions of dollars to build the bunker world, and right. everyone invested in it. And then we see the chapter of the guys like, huh, I'm gonna flick a photon. Oh, never mind. And then yeah. he like flicks something else, and the whole thing like. It doesn't even interrupt his song. It takes like right. so low effort. What took humanity so much effort to try and construct? Yeah, but at least we were interesting enough where we got a nickname of the the star fluckers, right? Like it, we, we yeah, have that for that's us. That's very sweet. <laughs> we have the respect of the galactic community, and we have a cute nickname. Right. So I mean, that's not a bad ending, right? <laughs> okay. Well, any, anything else that you want to talk about? Um, yeah, and if you're interested in following what my group and I do, I was commuting down to Georgia to um, to build strength in numbers and revive classical organizing, which we thought was needed in 2020. But, you know, it's a brand new world and we still need it. So that movement is called Math Movement. And, you know, I'm a mathematician, biostatistician mm. by training, uh, but that's political organizing. That's Math Movement on all social media. We're a little bit more active on Twitter and Reddit. Um, but yeah, otherwise you'll see me, you know, crawling around the Remembrance of Earth's Past subreddits and, you know, debating these ideas a little bit further. And what's your name on, on the subreddit? Uh, on the subreddit, I'm 8Bakes. You can reach us at rehydrate at fastmail.com or on Twitter at rehydratepod. So uh, Talia, thank you very much for, for joining me. I really appreciated our conversation. It was really nice to speak with you. Thank you so much for everything you brought down. Thanks. And thanks for listening.